Chelsea Fairless. And welcome back to another episode of the Every Outfit Podcast. <laughs> it's that time of the month again. Where we rewatch one of our favorite Sex in the City episodes. I mean, we're going to do all the episodes, so I guess I should say they're all our favorite episodes. Some are better than others. And this month, I asked Chelsea to do Bells of the Ball. Because it is such a masculine forward episode, we have asked our straight consultant to come on this episode, that being my fiance, Paul Glover. Hello. 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 Hey, Paul. Thanks for being here. I appreciate any opportunity to uh, represent the Every Outfit Men's Auxiliary. (laughs) Shout out, fellas. We are also doing this episode because recently you become fixated on this line that Big says repeatedly throughout this episode, which is... She could always reach me, but I could never get her. (laughs) The fuck is that? (laughs) <laughs> what the the symmetry the like could could there be a uh, reach on both sides of this or or get on either side almost like i could hear it in in chris noth's voice of he had to emphasize one or the other because it was probably some off-screen squabble that he had with with the writers i mean he killed the line i mean he's the man too so what do you think would be the better phrasing repeating get or repeating reach my brain has been completely broken by this. I'm the, the worst person to ask, though. Your chief complaint is the fact that he uses two different words to describe the situation. One writer was probably like, I just love the way Chris says get. No, I agree that it's weird. And we will definitely have multiple opportunities to discuss this because this line is repeated so many times in this episode. It's kind of unbelievable. Yeah, I will say before we recorded, you were like so many balls in this episode. Too many balls. Too many balls for my liking, but what can we do? It is Daddy MPK who wrote this episode. I will say a little behind the pod, when we do these episodes, Chelsea and I take copious notes because we want to take you through the episode scene by scene. I got into bed last night with Paul and I got my laptop in my lap. We have Max on. And I just look over and he does not have a laptop. He just has post-it notes and a pencil. Well, we can be the ones that remember which sequence these things happen in. So this episode starts with interesting group of people. It is Miranda, Steve, Aiden, Carrie, and Samantha. I get it from a storytelling purpose why Samantha is included in this group. But in the world of Sex and the City where this is happening... Yeah, what was the thought process to call Samantha in? Well, she's a good time. She's probably great with the billiards as well. shes I, I could picture her as somebody who has to hang with the fellas and play dirty pool, you know, in her day. We should note that, yes, they are at a pool hall of some kind, which is honestly my least favorite kind of New York nightlife establishment. Paul, why do I feel like you would love an establishment like this? I have had a few billiard experiences coming from New York where I had few to do several here in LA. And the one time that I went where I felt like it was truly foreign to me was I went to a um, Armenian pool hall in Glendale where they're mostly playing the Russian one with the giant table. And it was uh, there was some money being exchanged, and uh, it was very exciting. 
Well, that sounds cooler than wherever they are, which I assume is some East Village hellhole. Well, what's that spot that used to, I imagine it's still there or not, but on 3rd Avenue, either 11th or 12th, there was that bar that was also a billiards place. I imagine this is where it's taking place. By Webster Hall with the neon outside? Yes. So they're celebrating the fact that Steve no longer has testicular cancer. And trying to make him feel better and not remember that he only has one ball. Except for the problem is that Samantha keeps talking about the fact that she has one ball on her table. Yeah, that she's got a sink. I love how Carrie, not helpful in this situation. Steve, of course, gets beers for everyone, which Carrie drinking a beer, you don't really see that very often. I don't know. I feel like Carrie loves a rare moment where she's like one of the guys, especially in this episode with the tidy whities of it all. But we'll get into that later. Miranda seems really focused on it not being a big deal that Steve only has one ball and she's sort of asking around and Aiden admits that he would feel like he was less of a man if he only had one ball. I think that's a normal thought process. No? I guess we haven't also gotten into that clearly Steve having testicular cancer is inspired by, at this moment in time, was a very testicular cancer forward moment in pop culture because (laughs) Tom Green, when he was married to Drew Barrymore, had testicular cancer, I believe had the same surgery that Steve does. Lance Armstrong had testicular cancer. I think this was around the time whenever I had my first sex ed class that I remember I had this one teacher who had the thickest Robert Caro New York accent. He was like, and when you, when you, when you touch in your balls, make sure there's, there's no lumps. And, uh, <laughs> and, 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 you know, Lance Armstrong, that's why. That's why you got to touch them balls. This scene is basically establishing that men care about balls, but women don't care about balls. Because as Samantha says, she once fucked a man with the biggest balls and he was a complete pussy. She could barely fit those balls in her mouth or one ball, not even both balls. There's some confusion about what to do with the balls. They talk about grabbing or pulling. I'm picturing like where the balls are being yanked or some kind of like a surprise move or something like this. There's a lot of, a lot of confusion in this episode. Oh, so you shouldn't pull on the balls. Okay. Chelsea, this blew my mind while we were watching this because when Samantha says, Oh, men love pulling the balls. I think to us, it's about grabbing them. And Paul was like, no, no, no. It's about doing this. And you just pulled on the skin above the Thank balls and or, or the cupping wait what the, <laughs> yes you just hold them okay cupping the balls is very different than pulling the balls whatever pulls your balls you know that's don't there's no one technique but uh any any sudden moves i think that's uh that's going to be out of the uh out of the picture carrie who i think is preparing for her tenure at vogue says that i'm thinking balls are to men what purses are to women it's just a little bag but we'd feel naked in public without it <laughs> great writer no notes So this scene is also to establish, and this is why I understand Samantha is included in this group, because she runs into someone that she used to fuck and, of course, does not remember him. If anyone should be keeping a list like Miranda Hobbs had to do a couple seasons ago, it's Samantha. And this guy reveals that he just designed the new Richard Wright Hotel. Samantha's been trying to get a meeting with him. She asks who's doing the press, and it's some guy named Brad. And she goes, oh, he's a hack, which I love the idea of a publicist calling someone a hack. Like, isn't that the job? 
True. Also, this this forgotten hookup of hers totally delivers. He makes the connection for her. I mean, honestly, she should give him another try. Yeah, agreed. He seems like a good guy. There's too much going on in this episode. We couldn't include uh, an additional Samantha sex storyline. Meanwhile, uptown, Charlotte and Trey are eating Chinese delivery. We get our... Next ball-related plot line, which is that they've been trying to get pregnant for the past three months. It isn't working. So Charlotte very delicately asks, can you get your sperm tested? Because it's easier for a man to test his sperm than a woman to get checked. I believe conventional wisdom is if you are over 35 at six months, you should see a doctor any age under that. It's about a year. But I'm sorry, I agree with Trey. Like, is it too much to ask to have my mushu without a sign of sperm? Okay, but like, isn't this man like a surgeon? Why is he so grossed out by the idea of sperm and like having his sperm tested? Well, I also think given the last year of storylines with Trey, he's a really sexually repressed wasp. Well, yeah, and that's probably why she like thinks he's hot. <laughs> so now we're back at Casa de Bradshaw Shaw, which Paul and I were trying to figure this out. They never bring up the fact that if Carrie Bradshaw married Aiden Shaw, her name would either be Carrie Shaw or she would have had to hyphen it and be Carrie Bradshaw Shaw. I feel like this is a woman who it loves the term Zaza Zoo, where there's a pun in there with Shaw Shaw. I don't know. Don't make me say it. But the, the idea of having some kind of fun with that oddity of names is... Yeah, it's true. It's incredible that she was able to resist that. Or the daddy MPK doesn't bring this up. But there's something about repetitive names that they do love, right? Because as we've often discussed, Brady Hobbs's name is technically Brady Hobbs Brady or Brady Brady. That's why he's so fucked up now. So they're both brushing their teeth. Carrie is in a 1940s bra. Then the quintessential tidy whities. Like, what do we think that is? Like a Hanes? A, it just, it's not branded, It's right? brief supremacy is what I call it. Well, clearly she went out and bought her own because there's no way that six foot five Aiden Shaw's tidy whities fit <laughs> Carrie. I know this was filmed in the early 2000s, but the idea of a unisex couple's look like this feels very 90s to me. That's true. A lot of twinning going on. I mean, it, it is very Carrie Bradshaw to pull a look even at bedtime. So this is where they're brushing their teeth and then Carrie asks, do men like them pulled? their balls and she's about to get in there. But as I learned, she shouldn't pull the balls. Aiden should have stopped her and explained like Paul explained to me. Maybe daddy MPK is like a fan of the ball pull. Who knows to each their own. You name it, they've someone's done it with balls. You name it, someone stomped on it. <laughs> so the ball pulling is quite abruptly interrupted by a phone call from none other than John James Preston. <sighs> You know what? And I think Aiden's got a great line when he picks up that phone. Bradshaw's house of pain. That's how I'm going to start answering the phone now. Especially when I get those spam likely calls, I'm just going to answer and say Bradshaw house of pain. That was a good zinger from Aiden. This is completely inappropriate. Even if it were Miranda or Charlotte calling at what? 11 o'clock at night. It's a little late even for a friend call. I'm just going to say it. Okay, but like he's fully spiraling. So if you're spiraling, it's like time is irrelevant. That's true. Why didn't Carrie explain that to Aiden? It's like, I'm sorry, he's spiraling. Like time doesn't exist for him. He's clearly desperate. I found it really hard to relate to a moment, even though I, you know, I'm old enough to remember this moment when caller ID didn't exist. And when someone called, you answered. Just the idea of being in a nightly routine and then even answering the phone whatsoever is, is just odd.
So Big is spiraling because the fictional actress Willow Summers is giving him the runaround. Around this time, like a year before, Chris Noth was rumored to have hooked up with, been in a brief relationship with Winona Ryder. And I'm convinced that that experience is what Chris Noth told Michael Patrick King and what this storyline is born out of. Oh, absolutely. Because Michael Patrick King went on record and was like, he was dating an actress. We constructed this storyline based on his experience. And I just think it's great to give Big a love interest, even if it's on screen, even though we only, the most we see of her is through fake in-style magazine covers and fake movie posters. But giving Big a love interest that makes him act like Carrie at her worst is very satisfying to watch. Oh, of course. It's a complete role reversal. And this is when we get the first, she can reach me, but I can't ever (laughs) get her. Yes, that's it. He's spiraling because he's been waiting for her to call him back, to which Carrie goes, well, have you tried calling her? And he goes, yes, I tried all five of her numbers. She could always reach me, but I could never get her. Ever. (laughs) But he can get Carrie, and that's why we get a a look from Aiden, which I call um, cuck face. (laughs) To be sitting in your tidy whities clipping your big toenail, how could you not be giving cuck face? It's not a position of power that he is in. Well, also, we've seen him give cuck face many times. Like, it's not like this was, like, the only time that he went there. You really know it when you see it. So, Carrie ends the call. I mean, Carrie, in a rare form, and the only time this episode she puts up a boundary, she's like, I'm going to bed, goodbye. And then she goes back to Aiden and Aiden is like, why did you take that phone call in there? And she's like, well, I, I don't want you to feel threatened by him, which was is 100% the wrong thing to say to Aiden because Aiden goes, well, I could take him. I would like to read his dialogue because this is crazy. I'm just saying it's like the time Batman and the Green Hornet got in a fight. Everyone expected Batman to win because he's got the gadgets and the cape, the shit, but... The Green Hornet had the moves. See, I'm the Green Hornet. I got the moves. Plus, I got Pete, and he's like Kato. Archie boy, Petey, come here, boy. (laughs) He calls the dog. I mean, this is instantaneous ick for me, I got to say. Especially back then. I mean, before any comic shit was mainstream like we experience now, having like a DC lore dump come from the, the, the man in your life has got to have been particularly alienating. See, it's attractive when a female like myself does a DC <laughs> lore dump. Although I'm the Aiden and you're the Carrie in our dynamic. I'm like, so the thing is about this film, it's actually, you're like, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> yep. Yeah, see, this was complete gibberish to me. I was going to ask you about it. I assumed that you understood what he was talking about. This is either from a comic book. If it's not from a comic book, I think it's the Green Hornet television series had a crossover episode with the Adam (laughs) West. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. Okay, no, I'm sorry. Keep going. Well, in the 1960s, and I think that's what they're referencing. Because, as Carrie says, they are middle-aged men. And so are you, apparently. (laughs) Okay, so cut to a brunch scene. Carrie is basically saying, like, I wish Aiden could just understand that he shouldn't be threatened by Big. Maybe we should all just hang out sometime. Which prompts Miranda to say the great line, did you have a big bowl of crazy today? Are Carrie and Big friends? Because I don't think they are. They're people that used to fuck, and they're both so emotionally stunted they can't be together. They're not actually friends. I'm sorry. No, well, 
the emotional stuntedness of the two of them is what is stopping them from having any boundaries. True. And whenever they do hang out as friends, they're doing like super romantic, old timey New York shit, like, you know, dancing to Moon River and hey, whatnot. Yeah, there you go. I mean, <laughs> it is their kink. It's just like 1950s New York cosplay. Yeah. So this all leads into the, I couldn't help but wonder. I spent the afternoon thinking about my friends. Body image depression, unpredictable mood swings, late night phone calls obsessing about a relationship. Did I mention these are my male friends? So, maybe men and women aren't from different planets as pop culture would have us believe. Maybe we live a lot closer to each other, perhaps, dare I even say it, in the same zip code. In view of current circumstances, I couldn't help but wonder, are men just women with balls? I love that this I couldn't help but wonder is essentially like, men, they're crazy bitches just like us. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think this is fake news. It has been scientifically proven that men are from Mars and women are from Venus. I don't know what this bitch is talking about. Well, in view of current circumstances, I couldn't help but wonder, are men just women with balls? Which, no, men are not just women with balls. I think it's been proven that women are much more emotionally sound and men are the hysterical ones. I think crazy knows no gender. Are we all just crazy? True. The cultural like impact of men are from Mars, women are from Venus, it was massive. I'm looking at the Wikipedia right now that it came out in 1992. was everywhere, including this episode, years later. I feel like we should actually read it like the fact that we don't even know what is said in this book apart from just the general thesis that men and women are just different kinds of people i do love a book whose thesis is also the topic like conflict is not abuse by sarah shulman it's like oh yeah conflict is not abuse i get it all right cool yeah, it's very easy to digest, for sure. Moving on, Miranda and Steve are walking, which again, I'm like, are they friends? Well, I guess since the cancer diagnosis, that's what's changed things. Yeah, I guess Miranda just still feels incredibly guilty from uh, making him feel bad when he first got diagnosed with cancer, that she's like, I got to keep lifting his spirits because even though... It saved him. It's technically my fault he doesn't have a ball because I made him see uh, a good doctor. So this walk is just for Steve to throw out an idea of, uh, you know, what do you think about testicular implants? Before I, uh, I, I talk about the man's ball, <laughs> this is Steve at his most warp tour. The cut of those Dickies shorts and his, uh, his like, Hanes tee with, the, with like a, a patterned Hawaiian-ish shirt open on top. Steve is from Queens. Guaranteed, the man is a, uh, he's a, a super fan of, of, of Bouncing Souls, for sure. Been, I, I can imagine him stage diving at, like, Bad Religion or Warp Tour 96 or something. Yes, there was ska. Punk band might have a horn section, but not really call themselves ska. Just imagining what the bathroom at the bar will eventually look like. There's going to be stickers from, uh, from all the Fat Records bands. I really love that for Steve. And I hope that's the case because I always just assume that he only listens to Billy Joel. He has two modes. There's Billy Joel and then there's Warp Tour circa 1995. I, I know these men. Like it really depends on where you're from. If, if, you're, <laughs> if you're from Long Island or, or anywhere on Long Island like Queens or Brooklyn, you're going to be whatever subculture you are, but also Billy Joel. And then same thing for, for being from New Jersey, but just also Bruce Springsteen. Right. Miranda says something that 
In rewatching these episodes, there are many things that now as an adult, I'm like, that's not fucking true at all. Miranda says to Steve, in a way to dissuade him from this testicular implant, I've been to the area and I swear to God, I wouldn't know if you had one or four. And as someone who had no experience with men first watching this, I was like, oh yeah, of course. Cause it's like, I don't know. Yeah. You can't tell. <laughs> Unintelligible skin <laughs> folds. Okay. Now as an adult, this isn't true. You would definitely know if someone had one ball and certainly four balls. That's <laughs> why he has found his, his calling as being a, an intactivist. <laughs> Look, yeah. I get it. It's fundamentally about symmetry, right? He might be dressing to the left when he used to dress to the right, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I actually don't. <laughs> Let's keep it that way. <laughs> so now we are introduced to James Remar as Richard Wright and Ian Schrager type who is just a sexist asshole. Yeah, it's incredible that Samantha still fucked him after this episode. <laughs> In rewatching this episode, this storyline and his thought process of why he doesn't hire her doesn't make a ton of sense because he's willing to hire her in this moment if she decides to share the work with Brad, whatever his name is, the hack publicist, because you have a lot to offer, but you might want to consider working with a partner who isn't so emotional. Right. And then he's like, read between the lines. I deal with a lot of business men. It's like, that's not reading between the lines. You literally just gave me the reason <laughs> as to why I'm not getting this job. Well, wouldn't you want a hot, competent publicist if you're working with all these businessmen? Yeah. Here's my canon that I just came up with when I was watching this again last night, which is Richard Wright always wanted to fuck Samantha Jones and was like too tempted and that's why he didn't want to hire her. But this is to open the door about all of the girls are getting together at dinner. I always love an episode where we not only get a brunch scene, but we get an additional group dinner scene. I would be happy if they just never left the table, <laughs> personally. So now we get into the emotional, it's just code for I don't want to hire a woman section. Which Samantha has a lot of bangers in this scene. She does. A guy gets angry in a meeting, he's a pistol. A woman, she's emotional. And they all talk about if they've cried at work or not. I've cried at work. Yeah, I've cried at work too. Yeah, I was uh, depressed and I hated everything that I was doing and uh, I couldn't take it anymore. Well, also sometimes like something happens in your life unrelated to work and because you have an office job, you can't just fucking go home to cry. So you yeah. have to cry in the bathroom or whatever. Bingo. They take it as Richard Wright being like, well, you're going to get overwhelmed at work and you're just going to start crying. Because Miranda says like, uh, they think I'm going to cry over a legal brief to which Carrie's like, have you? She's like, well, yes. And then it gets into like, yes, life shit happens at your job and then you just start crying, which is a difference than like work pressure makes you cry in front of your coworkers. Well, also she said like, I cried in the privacy of my own office. And there's a big diff between crying in front of your colleagues and secretly crying in a private area. Which is unsurprising that Charlotte is reduced to tears in her own gallery in front of her other coworkers, which like what cunts? Who then like every time Charlotte has an opinion is like, oh, are you gonna cry? I would quit that gallery. For sure, fuck those girls. This is also an, a rare episode where within... One episode, Carrie has a recurring look, which is this like threadbare tank top with the black bra underneath. Yeah, can we talk about how little fashion there is in this episode? This episode is like 
99% balls and 1% fashion. And the 1% of fashion really comes from Samantha. These skirt suits and like the novelty jewelry, the Chanel Eagle brooch, the giant star earrings. Not to be a prude, but I kind of think it's inappropriate what Carrie is wearing to this dinner because it's the same outfit she's wearing during her first day in Suffern. And it's like, well, surely she could have thrown on you know, a jacket or something. In Suffern, Carrie is reading the new issue of In Style. Remember when that was a magazine? Oh, the cover of that is a Photoshop of horrors. It's so, so badly done. But to be fair, In Style's covers from back in the day did all look like that. The photography in the magazine was fine, but they just had these very like simple, basic covers what eventually vogue would devolve into but yeah that was just in styles look it looked like a clinique campaign whereas the interior was more like about interiors it was more like architectural digest in that era you're making me after this episode just want to go on ebay and buy a lot of in style magazines from the early 2000s so she gets a call in Suffern, which while I do remember a time before cell phones i don't remember a time where people would leave the numbers of where they were going to be on their answering machines. I remember when call forwarding either came out or became popular because it would ring and ring and ring and ring and then an answering machine would pick it up and then it would start ringing again at the new place. They're away for a long weekend. She says it's a Thursday and they're gone till Sunday or Monday. You would imagine her friends have the phone number. Like, who does she think is going to need to reach her and suffer? Because of course it's going to be fucking big. Who is on the other line of this phone call? And he is very much spiraling at this point because Willow has actually broken up with him. Yeah, they've been together all of two months. I'm sure a little part of Carrie is like, what the fuck? We dated for almost two years and we broke up and you were married within a few months. I think this episode also establishes something that we see in the Sex and the City film, which is Big does not have friends. We meet people he knows in season one, and he's got that friend in season two that goes to Carrie's birthday party. And after that, Big has no more friends. Well, he has one friend in the movie who like says something inappropriate during the night before dinner. That is true. But during New Year's Eve, don't you remember that montage? He's eating alone at yeah. a restaurant. This is it's part of the Gatsby-ish archetype of a Mr. Big. That's true. So Big is upset that Carrie will not be available for him to just like emotionally trauma dump on her until Monday. And so this is weird every time I watch it, how what happens that he ends up coming up to suffer. It is kind of Carrie's fault. It's 110%. Like the evening before, she could just be like, sorry, I'll talk to you Monday. Bye. Yeah, no, no ability to set a boundary. And when Aiden walks up in full Eddie Vedder cosplay. <laughs> Again, they start talking about crying. Oh, there better be tears. Carrie must know Raul's driving schedule because I think that's what she was hoping for is like, well, your driver is not there. This is where we learn Big has a car. He has a Jaguar. To me, this episode is the most like Chris Noth and like the least John James Preston. When he rolls up, He's just blasting cigs in there with the with the windows up. You know it smell crazy in there. <laughs> yeah. For sure. He's like a full mess. Carrie has to break the news to Aiden. 
I did notice that Carrie hugs Aiden from behind when she tells Oof. him the news he doesn't want to hear, which really is the international girlfriend symbol of, I fucked up, please forgive me. Run, bro. <laughs> she says to him, I would never do this, but he was upset. I would never do this? You cheated on this man with Big for months. Yeah, you're not wrong, but it's different now. She fucking marries him. We get our yet another ball reference, which Aiden says, he's got some balls coming up here. But she says he will stay in the car and he won't come inside the house. No, it's true. It is sus. We see that Carrie's intention is not to have this weird bonding moment with Mr. Big, but the choices that she makes certainly suggest that. Yeah, should we dive into the scenes happening back in New York City? We've got Miranda and Steve at his ball appointment, his testicular implant appointment, and Miranda's trying to get on board until she learns that this is just a clinical trial <laughs> and says that his testicular implant is like a Ford Pinto. And do you want a Ford Pinto by your penis? They're like, what size implant would you like? I mean, shouldn't you just cross reference with the size of his other ball? Because Miranda says medium. A medium large. I think this should just be more of like a reverse engineered to match the other ball kind of thing rather than a choose your own size. Yeah, it's not like whenever guys get plugs and then they're like, well, you know, as long, while I'm doing it, maybe I have the uh, hairline I always wanted, not the one I used to have. So at another doctor's office. Yeah, I have it as Charlotte and Trey's sperm retrieval appointment. <laughs> Trey asked Charlotte to come in because he could not get it up. And Charlotte thought this might happen. And so she brought an issue of jugs. And it's the big boob bonanza. I love her gleefully taking this issue of jugs out of her handbag. So Trey is able to get it up. I did notice at the very end of the scene, he says to her, do the thing I like, tug them. Despite having a dysfunctional sex life, we do learn in like different anecdotes that Charlotte and Trey have a very like diverse sexual palette because she admits to doing analingus on him at a different point. Okay, so then we get... Just a killer transition, in my opinion, from Charlotte and Trey to Richard Wright playing with those like silver balls at his desk. Oh, they were the coolest thing that you see at the mall kiosk. I would always see the the little uh, like red velvet box when I would see it at, like a friend's house or something, but the balls were missing because people would always lose them. You'd lose one, yeah. as Steve did. But um bum Okay, so Samantha's back with Richard Wright. This is when he reveals that he actually is not going to hire her because she had sex with the architect. Which, did this architect get Samantha the meeting? Richard Wright took the meeting with Samantha, then called this guy back and was like, well, we, we fucked. And was like, well, I can't hire her now. But he says, other than that, you had the job. She reads him to filth, but I did find it funny, this line where she says, it's amazing, a man with such innovative vision can be so short-sighted. Innovative vision? He designed boutique hotels. Wait, he, he, did, he didn't design them. That was the guy that she fucked who actually helped her out. That's true. I mean, this episode is all about balls, but there is something to be said that this man is obsessed with building phallic symbols all over the world. So Samantha cries, but she doesn't want anyone to see. So she's trying to get to the elevator in time and then has a, has a good little elevator cry. Who among us has not had a good little elevator cry? Although that really is playing like public crying Russian roulette because you're really <laughs> hoping that it doesn't stop at another floor. Well, not her best performance, in my opinion. Yeah, for Kim Cattrall, like she can do fake crying better. We're back in Suffern. Carrie is hoping that Big doesn't come. She hopes that he missed the turn at Spring Fresh Squash. 
<laughs> but he arrives, he pulls up, it's pouring rain out. He honks three <laughs> times, which I think is rude and fucked. Like I'm on Aiden's side. Screw this guy. I don't want him in my house. Yeah, fair enough. Right. That is the boundary. He says, I don't want him in the house. And she goes, absolutely. He's going to pull his car up. I'm going to run him. We'll talk for a little bit. And then he will go. So Carrie, I mean, she doesn't have rain shoes. This woman exclusively wears Manolo Blahnik. She has to run into his car where Big is, as you noted before, smoking inside. I think when she gets in the car and assesses the situation, She's like, if he doesn't come inside, he might kill himself out here. Fair enough. I mean, the first thing Carrie says is, why didn't you come in? Aiden told you that he didn't want this man in the house. Then Big also psychotically asks, is he in there referring to Aiden? It's like, yes, where else would Aiden be but inside his own home? Oh, he's also listening to Billy Joel. Uh, he's really, really showing his Long Islandness. There's a lot of, I feel like, Chris Noth in this episode and not a lot of Mr. Big. Well, also, how many Billy Joel references are there on this show? A lot. More than one would think. Instead of doing what she said she was going to do, which is giving him a pep talk and him leaving, she all but forces Big to enter the house. Well, there were some unforeseen weather conditions. Uh, I, I guess you're right. So somehow it's hours later and two bottles of wine were consumed. And so Big is fucking drunk at dinner. And he is reading the Willow Summers in-style article. He gets to the point where she thanks her vegan diet for her lifestyle. And he's like, that bullshit. And it made me think about all the things that Big thinks are bullshit. Cabs. Cabs are bullshit. (laughs) Vegan diets are bullshit. And my favorite, beige. Beige is bullshit. Oh, yeah. Beige is bullshit. Aiden has a look while Big is going through this rant as if he's just like, This is the fucking guy. This is the guy she cheated on me with. Like, wow. Now, Aiden could have let Big go to jail for vehicular manslaughter by getting back (laughs) in his car. But instead, he does the right thing and gives him a pillow and blanket to sleep this off. There is, I remember this from my DVDs, there is a deleted scene from this episode that occurs right after this where Aiden and Carrie are in bed trying to go to sleep and Big won't stop singing and he actually drunkenly walks into their bedroom and is like Carrie baby put me to bed I think Aiden was giving too much cuck face they were like we gotta cut it it's too much (laughs) cuck so now we're back to Miranda and Steve he's bummed out because he wanted that fake ball so much (laughs) and I do appreciate Miranda who's like I'm at my limit like I am so un Miranda like for the last 12 hours trying to cheer you the fuck up that like I can't anymore and I don't want to be a bitch but I'm about to but he doesn't want to be the uniball bartender that's what he admits to her but who's going to fuck a uniball bartender um a lot of women (laughs) yeah including miranda who's like thank god something i can do to be useful we don't get a follow-up in and just like that of like how is steve's uniball bartender lifestyle going now that he's a single man again maybe he's like secure enough to be self-deprecating about it like it's the name of a cocktail (laughs) (laughs) the uniballer okay it's the next morning in suffern big wakes up because eden is shooting hoops no 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 he's stimming 
He's acting out. The cuck energy is now directed inward through the ball in his hands. And he's just <laughs> he's just banging it against, like overhand throws against the side of the house. Yeah, it's not even wall ball. This is the most passive aggressive thing that he is doing, which is he's banging the ball against the house because he knows that Big is going to be hung over and he wants him up and out of his house, which is very fair. It's fair, but it's such a childish way to go about this. Like, you know how there's always one angry kid in your elementary school that's just angrily bouncing a ball <laughs> against a wall? That's who Aiden is in this episode. So Carrie gives Big an ultimatum, which is you have to talk to Aiden and sort this out. So Carrie has done nothing she was supposed to do this weekend. She was supposed to give Big a pep talk, that didn't happen. She wasn't supposed to invite Big into the house. She did that. And now she's putting the emotional labor off to Aiden so that he can see that there's nothing to worry about with Big, which after his drunken display, I would imagine Aiden's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I don't, we're good. Yeah, you would think. I love when Big goes out there and tries to bro down. The ease that he just sinks that first shot. And it made me wonder like, can Big ball? So that's the thing. <laughs> I believe that Chris Noth Shoots a little hoop, as Big says. I do not believe Big does, because who is he shooting with? Raul? <laughs> I'm sure at some point he has played basketball in his youth. He's a tall guy. They're both tall guys. I mean, John Corbett is 6'5", but Kristoff is no slouch. He's 6'2", which is not a fake height. That's a real height. Unlike six foot, which means that men are 5'11". <laughs> I also thought it was interesting that while they show Big sinking a shot, Aiden, we never see actually making a shot. Exactly. And Aiden really does not come off as someone that is coming at this from a position of power. He's going for low blows. He's going for schoolyard. Right, because at first he throws the ball really hard into Big's chest. And then when he sinks the shot, he smashes it in the mud and shoots it into his pristine white undershirt. Yeah, it's a dick move. And then they toss the ball back and forth until just the, the testosterone, they can't take it. They start fighting. But Aiden is the one that initiates it. Yeah, that definitely comes from Aiden. But he's on his it's home court advantage a little bit. He can choose the rules. So... Earlier this week, you sent me a screen cap of this fight scene and you just went gay porn or sex in the city. And I couldn't tell if you were knowingly joking or not, but I was like, you do remember years ago, we wrote gay fan fiction about this scene or what we imagined happened after the scene. And I sent it to you, but we published this June 16th, 2019, I think to coincide with pride, but also father's day. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> For the uninitiated, we thought we would have our resident heterosexual consultant, Paul Glover, read this. Oh, well, it'd be uh, weird if we read it because we have women's voices. Oh. And it's from the perspective of a man. So thanks for taking one for the team. As we wrestled on the wet earth, marking the ground with our bodies, I felt it. The stirrings of something I hadn't allowed myself to feel in ages. Desire. I wanted this man. He pinned me down and I heard his heart pounding like mine. Did he feel it too? <laughs> this insatiable hunger. Carrie screamed that we were middle-aged, but in that moment, I was a teenager again. We rolled around, fighting for dominance, over each other and the part of ourselves that we had long kept hidden. I yearned to press my lips against his muddied Cupid's bow, but <laughs> thankfully, Pete saved me from my own foolishness. Behind the house, we stripped and washed ourselves in silence. I admired his body, solid and masculine. My eyes traveled lower, and I understood why Carrie called him Mr. Big. <laughs> oh I just like 
can't even believe we wrote this. Sorry, Paul, continue. <laughs> he met my gaze and whispered, what Carrie doesn't know won't. But before he could finish, my tongue was in his mouth. <laughs> Under the spray of the outdoor shower, we let our bodies speak for themselves. As we came down from the high of our climaxes, reality set in. The warmth in his eyes swiftly turned steely to the fucking grave, he said, as we walked back into the house. And like that, we returned to our roles. As we greeted Carrie, I felt a wave of guilt about my transgression. But then I remembered she too cheated with Mr. Big, all while I was sanding her fucking floors. Now we were both bad. That was beautiful, Paul. This could be Dipsy app material. I would take bookings. <laughs> we were talking about our writing, but yes, you are. You yeah. do have audio erotica voice, which I have said often. Yeah, maybe we need a new Patreon tier that's just Sex in the City erotica read by Paul. I think after this moment, I did look to see if there was Sex in the City fanfic. There is. There is. I think there's one about like Samantha fingering Carrie when she's trying to get her diaphragm out. Yeah, can you believe that? That's the one we found. <laughs> it's like someone spun that out into like a full sex scene. Terribly written, by the way. But I believe we could not find gay fanfic about yeah. the male characters so yeah if i may be so bold i mean this is completely unhinged but i will say hearing it back now pretty well written could have been worse that's very true i liked the detail about pete well yeah i mean pete does bite big's ass and that's how the fight ends which when kristoff says that dog bit my ass it is always sounded like forrest gump to me because he's like, that dog bit my ass. Okay, he does not sound like that. Maybe you need to listen again. Let's drop the audio of that here, and then the audience can make a determination. That dog just bit my ass. So Carrie has a voiceover. The storm is broken. I mean, look, I also think that this fan fiction was spun out of the idea that they are both clean. So how did they become clean? Like, did they walk into the house all muddied? Did they take a, like... Pulp Fiction after they uh, they shoot the guy in the car like prison shower. Is Big wearing Aiden's clothes? Yeah, of course he is. Yeah, I don't think Big has a ivory sweater just hanging on the back of the trunk of his car because as we know, beige is bullshit. They're eating breakfast. I think Carrie is back reading the in style and they are finally broing down because Big once again says, She could always reach me, but I could never get her. Day or night. Whenever she could reach me, I couldn't get her. See? And Aiden does see. There's, again, no reading between the lines with this statement, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's very easy to understand what he's talking about. There's no metaphors involved. And then they're, they're friends again. Although they're not. We never see them interacting after this. And we never will because John James Preston died. In that moment, whenever he's like, that's fucked up. When it's supposed, we're supposed to accept that they've somehow buried the hatchet. Years later, there's one line of dialogue. I'm so sorry to hear about John. He didn't mean that shit at <laughs> all. No. no. And then Big had cuck face, you know, when Carrie cheated on him with Aiden in Abu Dhabi. Oh, that's true. So how many Manolos? It's a good episode, but seven and a half for all the ball references. I'm giving it seven. It's a good episode. It's solid, but too many balls, not enough fashion. I'm going to give it six, but two chewed up and muddied. Manolos, because the fellows are there, and also there's Pete. Is there anything else that was written down on your post-its we didn't get to? I think we hit them all. 
I would go into the um, the backstory of um, what's so bad about a Ford Pinto, but that's for a different podcast. And now you see why we're together. <laughs> I know a lot of inane shit about pop culture, and Paul knows a lot of inane shit about things I don't know, and then we're forever talking. Co-mingling, you know, like the wood making each other stronger. Yeah. <laughs> we're all flawed. <laughs> all right, guys, we did it. Paul, thank you for joining us. Thank you. I, uh, Dipsy or any other audio erotica brands want to reach out, I'm uh, taking calls. I can write the stories. You got the voice. This is a rom-com for a new age. Love that for you guys. Anyway, Paul and I need to talk about this new business venture. We'll be back next week with a pop culture episode. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.